Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 63 of the Still City Insider podcast. And we are very excited today because we are welcoming two-time Super Bowl champion, former Pittsburgh Steeler, and host of the new podcast, All Things Covered, with new Pittsburgh Steeler, Patrick Peterson, uh, also an analyst for CBS Sports. So Jim and I are welcoming Brian McFadden, BMAC. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Man, number one, thank you for jo- uh, allowing me to join you guys. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's always a blessing to see another day, and it's always a blessing to be able to talk Steeler football, football in general, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And Jim, I didn't forget about you. How are you doing this fine Tuesday? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks for not forgetting about me. I, <laughs> I do want to add on, on BMAX, like I did last year, I do want to add on his intro underrated hero of the greatest upset in Pittsburgh Steelers history on their way to the Super Bowl. The uh, the uh, guy who survived Peyton Manning in the last minute in the upset of the Colts in 2000, actually six, but it was yep. the 2005 season championship. Uh, BMAC, we don't hear enough about that from anybody, but congratulations again on that. Thank you. And you know, Jim, that's the first time I ever, I've ever heard someone refer to that as the biggest upset in Steelers history, that's definitely a nice debate, you know, for a future uh, a future discussion for sure. It, it is. I, I thought of that today. What would be a bigger upset? Now, you, you guys were like ten point underdogs, and you there may have been bigger upsets uh, numerically, but I mean, you went on to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that the you know the seventies didn't have any big upsets. They were always favored, and uh, the two thousand eight. I think you guys were always favored. And 2005. So those were the six Super Bowls. So the word great should lead to a Super Bowl. And that was the upset. Yeah. I mean, clearly, you know, we we when we got into the Super Bowl that year, you know, we had we were basically in playoff mode going back to week 13, week 12. We couldn't afford to lose any more ball games. And then when we got in, we were a sixth seed. No one gave us a shot. And before the 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 achievements that we were able to accomplish. Remember, there was never a six seed to ever get to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. So yeah, we were the underdogs the entire playoff stretch. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a nice debate. You know what I mean? You might need to run that back, Jim. <laughs> well, here, here I, I'm going to segue for Jeremy because I just I got this old nugget. But um, BMAC, you were the rookie corner. The Peyton Manning was attacking after Jerome Bettis's fumble, but. Uh, you know, Jerome, he went back to Detroit and won the Super Bowl. And you guys saved him the embarrassment of his last play being a, a horrible fumble. Um, but now uh, Jerome, of course, came um, from the Rams in a trade, and he's a Detroit native. Today, Allen Robinson, Detroit native, traded from the Rams to the Steelers uh, in the first trade with the Rams since Jerome Bettis. And so I think it's a nice tie-in. So take it away, Jeremy. Yeah, so uh, perfect segue there, Jim. Yes, the Steelers make some news here uh, this afternoon, trading for wide receiver Allen Robinson from the Rams. And a little bit of an interesting exchange, an exchange of seventh-round picks. Um, The Rams are going to get the Steelers' 234th pick in the seventh round. Um, the, The Steelers will get the Rams' 251st pick. Not sure uh, there's not too much of a difference there. And the Rams are going to be paying $10 million of his salary this year. The Steelers are going to take on $5 million of that. But 
Robinson, 29 years old last year, 33 receptions, 339 yards, three touchdowns. His best season came with Jacksonville. We know he was he began his career there, 80 receptions, 1,400 yards, 14 TDs. Had a foot injury last year that sidelined him, but he could be if he if he's healthy, this could be a great addition to the Steelers and, and B Mac Jim. What's your take on this addition? How does it impact this receiver room? Um, your thoughts. Well, for me, um, when I initially heard about the trade, I was like, huh? Because, you know, Allen Robinson that we saw in Jacksonville and early on in Chicago was not the Allen Robinson that we saw last year. Now, he dealt with a lot of injuries and we, you know, I don't know if they were utilizing him the right way, but we didn't see the guy that we thought we would see, especially playing with Matthew Stafford before he was injured. But then as you read off the compensation and I heard what the compensation was, you basically swap seven round, seven rounders, right? Seven, seven round picks. And they're eating more than half of his salary. So now you're getting a veteran presence in the wide receiver room to help your young quarterback and you're paying him five and a half million dollars. And that seventh rounder you were going to select, the likelihood of that player making the team not saying that it can't happen, but we know how difficult it is. And not just about making the team, but being a contributor. Like we believe Allen Robinson could potentially be uh, for the offense with Pittsburgh. So when I found out exactly what it took to get him, I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm okay with it. And hopefully he comes in with a lot of motivation, a, a big time chip on his shoulder because he didn't really do what they thought he would do for the Rams a year ago. Yeah, just the same way Bettis came here with a big chip on his shoulder. Uh, he does have a screw in his foot from the foot um, stress fracture that he suffered last year. Um, I I'm I would have to assume that they talked to Mitch Trubisky, his quarterback in Chicago, about attitude and versatility. Can he play the slot? All that stuff. I, I'm assuming Mitch gave him a big thumbs up. Um. Somebody wrote an article uh, for the Turf Show Times, uh, covers the Rams, and and said Al Robinson wasn't as bad as people say. He had a, a injury in Week Ten, okay. Uh, but uh, for for starters, he he signed with the Rams. He was a free agent. He came in. Stafford had an elbow injury in the off season. And they didn't get to work in the off season, so they didn't get their chemistry until late in the year with back shoulder fades, things like that. And it, late in the year being November, and then uh, Robinson got hurt. There were injuries on the offensive line that rushed Stafford, and we, we know what that's all about. We watched that last year. Um, ESPN Analytics uh, uh, had uh, had some uh, uh, subjects, uh, one called open score, the likelihood that he makes the catch if targeted. Apparently he was open a lot, but wasn't targeted. He was 28th in the league, and he led the Rams in that score, that analytics score, the same score as when he caught 102 with Trubisky in 2020. Um, his separation score was bad. It was 118 out of 121, but it was only at 2.1 yards. It was only uh, off his career high of 2.3. So he's never been a separation guy. Um, his catch score was 38th in the NFL. His yak score wasn't good, but he's never been a yak guy. He's a uh, run blocking. He was ninth in the NFL. Okay. So that's not bad analytics. Uh, not as washed up as uh, some of the Rams fans are, are trying to stay right now. Um, 
I'm just hoping for Jericho Cotchery. Did you play with Cotchery, B-Mac, here? Yes, he I did. In, yeah. Now, that was a good addition, and that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking that Allen Robinson could be. Yeah, I did. Uh, and, and I like that. I like that example because when Cotchery came in, with us, you know, it's more than more than a serviceable guy, but extremely savvy, experienced guy. And he made some plays. Yeah. Yeah. And he came in as a 29 year old. This guy's at Robinson's going to be 30. But Cotri's uh, uh, big year here was his third year. I think he caught 66 passes his third year. He was so he would have been 31. So, I mean, it, it's possible. Uh, and Cotri and came in August, if you remember, mm-hmm. he came late. You yeah. guys. So his first year wasn't as good as when he finally got rolling with Ben, and and, and so Robinson's going to have uh, you know time with Pickett right from the get go. Yeah, yeah. And but it, anyway, uh, BMAC, uh, uh, go go ahead, uh, Jeremy. Go on to your next segment, whatever that is. Uh, go ahead, you carry it here. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it's a nice veteran addition to the wide receiver room. It's a it's a younger receiving core and kind of shifting gears a bit. And, and BMAC, we haven't talked to you about the, the draft this year, but this is a good opportunity to to kind of launch into that because wide receiver was a position we were tossing around there uh, in terms of would the Steelers be adding a receiver via the draft? This obviously changes things a little bit. Now, if there's a player that they love who's on the board, um, they'll maybe they'll try to get him. But let's just talk about your overall view um, with the Steelers in the draft this year, uh, starting with, with pick 17. What do you think that their approach is going to be? Are they targeting a cornerback tackle? Your take. I think, yeah, offensive line, defensive backfield is the direction in regards with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, of course, guys, you know how it is. It all depends on who's available, how the draft board is panning out leading up to the 17th selection. Um, I just, you know, I'm in the process of doing my mock draft right now. And at 17, I have the Steelers selecting Deontay Banks from Maryland. Now, we know Coach Tomlin loves some Maryland players. We know <laughs> that. Um, and what happened with my mock draft, you know, I had quite a few guys that, you know, were high on the board, pretty much already gone. Like Paris Johnson Jr. was gone. Um, Jones from Georgia was gone. Um, actually, I had Washington select and Joey Porter Jr. right before the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Witherspoon was gone. Gonzalez was gone. Um, Peter uh, uh, Skorowski was still available. No, he was gone as well. He was gone as well. So when you factor in if the draft board plays out that way and just seeing what Deontay was able to do his last year at Maryland playing outstanding football, not to mention getting a stamp of approval, from what he did at the combine, um, being able to to learn from a guy like Patrick Peterson, you know what I mean? Being able to be groomed by a future Hall of Famer, eventually being able to take over the reins at the cornerback position for the Pittsburgh Steelers, extremely athletic. If he's there at 17, especially if you look at how the draft, how my mock, you know, kind of got things going with some of the guys that were already gone, I think that would be a big-time player to select for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, BMAC, are you saying that just because, I mean, you know, Mike Tomlin's son, Dino, played at Maryland. So I, I have no doubt that Mike Tomlin has the full scouting report on Deontay Banks. The mm-hmm. uh, word is that he likes it. Um, do you think it's just just that connection that you like, or have you watched tape and do you like Banks? I watched tape. Um, 
He grew on me. Actually, in the beginning of the season, his teammate was kind of getting more recognition, more, more notoriety than he was. But watching him play throughout the year and seeing one thing I really like, Jim, he's very, very physical. You know, you have some corners that they tackle because they have to. He tackles because he's he wants to. And, you know, that's that's a uh, that's a thing for Pittsburgh in the secondary. You don't you got to tackle because you want to tackle. You take pride in doing so the same way you take pride in covering guys. You got to take pride in tackling guys. And that's something that kind of jumped out to me instantly. And then I didn't know he was that fast and that athletic. I saw flashes of him covering people being where he needs to be. But when he went to the combine, it was like, wow. I mean, he really, like I said, got a stamp of approval. So it's not just about my opinion about Mike Tomlin and Maryland players, but if you watch his style of play, you look at his measurables, you look at what he did at the combine, you look at how he competes, and he plays with a big-time chip on his shoulder, and he plays with a lot of confidence, I think that's something that we need in our secondary. So with the addition of a player like Banks, BMAC, how would you see his transition uh, coming along with the team, would they be looking to have him split reps with a Levi Wallace uh, and bring him along slowly to maybe start near the end of the year? Or, or what would be the approach with the young guy at corner? I mean, anytime you get a young cornerback, it takes time. It takes time for them to kind of get acclimated to the new system in regards to play calling, verbiage, and then just the skill set in which they will see week in and week out, play in and play out. The luxury that the Steelers have, if you do draft the first round corner, and you don't want to necessarily put the pressure on him being a day one starter. Now, you don't have to. As you mentioned, you have Levi Wallace. You know, you got Pat Peterson. You got Witherspoon, who's still there currently right now. So you got some guys that have a lot of experience playing the cornerback position where he can kind of learn gradually. But mm-hmm. if let's say he comes in, and he's ready to go. I mean, now he's exceeded the expectations already. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like if they draft a corner, you're not force for him to be a day one starter like some other organizations if the Raiders draft a a corner it's pretty much safe to say he's gonna have to be a day one starter you know what I mean there are a lot of other teams Washington you know what I mean they had there are a lot of the teams that might be in a position where they draft a young guy the cornerback position they might be forced to start or not forced but they give him the opportunity sooner than later so that's a good thing to have in place in regards to being able to be groomed and ready instead of forcing them out there when they're not ready and it might stunt their growth yeah yeah. Uh, so BMAC, you were uh, a second round pick in 2005, I'm pretty sure, right? Yes, sir. 2005? Yep, and 2005. First round, they had a first round grade on you. Uh, how long did it take you to step in to the starting line? Okay, so I came in a unique situation, Jim. If you remember, like you said, in 2005, they took me in the second round. But in 2004, they took Ricardo Coakley in the second round as well. So they traded up to go get Coakley. And at that time, we had Willie Williams, Deshae, Ike, Ricardo, Chidi Awoma, who was mostly a special teams guy, but, you know, serviceable when need be. So I came in a situation where it was a lot of guys in front of me. So the, my first few ball games, I wasn't active at all. And I didn't even know that was a thing until the first week of the regular season where you have an active list and an inactive list. I did, I'm like, what do what you mean I'm not active? What's going on? <laughs> you know, I thought it was a slap in the face. I thought they were basically telling me I wasn't good enough. But as I learned the system, the NFL, you only can dress a certain amount of guys. So it wasn't they weren't telling me 
you're not good enough. They were telling me, listen, we only can dress a certain amount of guys. And right now, those guys are wearing a helmet. You're not. You're in street clothes. So at first, I was really disappointed because I'm like, man, they're trying to tell me I suck. I'm not good. But that's just the nature <laughs> of the game in regards to getting guys dressed. So what I did was, Jim, I, I, I took it as personally a slap in the face that I wasn't good enough to get a hat. And during the week of practices, when I wasn't practicing, I was just trying to show them, number one, I know what I'm supposed to do. Number two, I can compete. And I remember my first game being active was against Jacksonville. I can't remember what game it was, but Deshae was out with a hamstring injury. I got a helmet. I'm excited. Initially, I was only supposed to contribute via special teams. Something happened in the flow of the game. Coach Cower called my number, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Coach Cower said, B-Mac, you're up. You're live. I'm like, yes, sir. I'm, I'm excited. And he said, do you know your stuff? Like, in my mind, I'm like, coach, what do you mean? Yes. But I said, yeah, I know. I'm ready. I know it. I know it. You sure? Don't you screw this up. I'm like, all right. I'm like, okay, coach, way to put pressure on me. <laughs> way to put pressure on me. And if you guys remember that Jacksonville game, that was a close, close ball game, right? So I go into the game and I'm like, man, coach, must he, 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 I guess he don't think I know my plays, but I'm like, okay, cool. And long story short, I ended up getting an interception. In that ball game that led to an overtime opportunity, we eventually lost. Uh, Rasheed Mathis, who was basically known as the Pittsburgh Steeler killer at that time, got a pick six. But then that was when they really saw that, okay, B-Mac is ready. Let's see, can he sustain this level of play? And I was able to do so. So, yeah, Jim, it took me probably about midway through the season. And it took an injury for me because, as I mentioned, Jim, you remember that roster. We had a lot of savvy vets. That, that same team in 05, remember, had the best record in the AFC in 04. So it wasn't like they were – they were. it was a need of – they didn't have talent. They had a lot of talent. A lot, most of those guys returned. If I'm not mistaken, the everyone in the secondary basically, basically returned. So, you know, I had to wait my turn and just be ready when my number was called. And when it was called, I was ready. Well, they had that great practice, uh, that great scout team secondary from, I think, 2004 or 2003. Ike, uh, Troy, Chris mm -hmm. Hope, and Deshay yep. might have been the greatest scout team secondary. So they all moved up in 2004, 2005. Then you had to wait behind them. But, yep, um, exactly. you know, you should have asked your coach, and I all kind of respect for Bill Cowher, but you should have asked him after the Jacksonville game, were you ready, coach? Because <laughs> I think he blew that game in overtime. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that, that was a close game. It was a, definitely a close game. All they had to do was hand the ball to Bettis. They were in field goal range, and they, they were going to sweep to Willie. I think he lost yardage or it was a fumbled pitch or something. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway BMAC. I got. I have this vision. This team isn't as talented in the secondary. Uh, I have this vision of the the first, even if it's a second round corner, of Pat Peterson going into the slot uh, on sub packages, and that's where the rookie enters outside. Mm -hmm. Is that is that is Pat going to be the uh, 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 slot guy? Maybe a little safety work, things like that. And how do you see him as a safety kind of? You know, yeah, what Tom was talking about. Yeah, when Pat, uh, you know, revealed to all of us that he was signing with the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, and then when we did our, our, one of our podcast episodes, I talked to him. I talked to him about what do he see his role becoming, 
in this defense. And he said, you know, from some of the premature conversations he's had, that he's going to be moving around a lot. You know what I mean? Doing a lot. And, and he said he's okay in doing that. He's looking for it to being able to move around because that's something he's never really done in his career. So in regards to, you know, what you're, you just, you know, you just stated on, yeah, I could see Pat moving to be the inside guy. You know what I mean? And having a young guy like Banks, if they decide to, to draft him, be a guy that can be on the outside. And don't forget, we still have, uh, 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 what's it, Arthur? Um, Millet. Millet, Millet, Millet. Yeah, Millet. We still have, yeah, we still have Millet, who is, who has been the nickel guy for us and has done a real good job as well. You know, it's almost like a, a Mike Hilton 2.0, to say the least. You know what I mean? So the, right. the flexibility I think Pat will provide for the defense could help whoever the young guy out is and being able to get acclimated to one thing instead of focusing on a whole lot of different positions. I'm sorry to take your questions away from you, Jeremy. I just, I've been beating the thing. I I think Patrick Peterson can do the Rod Woodson thing and maybe be a safety, free safety type. What do you think of that? Am am I crazy, B-Mac? No. You know, we talked about that on the phone, Jim, and I said, when you look at some of the great corners that we've watched over the last 20 plus years or so, when you put them in space, they make more plays because now they see everything. What makes these guys great is because they're instinctive, they study, and they have a, a God-given ability that a lot of other people were not birthed with. But then when you factor in and remove them from that small cubicle that they're used to working within and now give them a large space to be able to work with and see different things and utilize depth to make plays, then you're like, wow. Like Rod Woodson, like Charles Woodson. You know what I mean? Hey, think about think about most recently Mike Jenkins. Remember, he got drafted as a corner. One of Jim Thorpe at Ohio State eventually made the move to safety. And that was the best thing to happen for him in his career. You know what I mean? Won a few Super Bowls as well, two to be exact. So in regards to a guy like Pat, who's been known to work in a small cubicle, being locked in, if you put him in space with the instincts that he has, I mean, if we can get that Rod Woodson type production when he moved to safety, I think we all would be smiling. <laughs> Fantastic. Great stuff. So, BMAC, we got corner first round. So let's shift over to the second round. Steelers have two selections uh, in, in round two. So they get their, their help in the secondary. Do you see them going offensive line round two? No question. Now, it all depends on who's available, uh, Jeremy, um, with the, the second round pick. Now, one thing I like, guys, you talk about having a high second round pick. If you're Pittsburgh, maybe you can move up in the back end of the second round and go get someone. You know what I mean? Who knows? You, you have the flexibility. Uh, some guys that could be available early in the second round, uh, DeWan Jones, uh, offensive tackle for Ohio State, he could be available. Um, you know, you got some other guys in regards to offensive line play that could be available. Um, what's the, the kid from Oklahoma? Um, Harrison, Anton Harrison. Harrison, he could be available as well. Um, Osiris Torrance will be gone, but we we're okay at the guard spot. We're okay at the guard spot. You know, if we're gonna do anything offensive line wise, it gotta be at the it gotta be at the edges. Um, but those are the two guys that could be could be available depending on the flow of the draft. And if they are, uh, you you pull the trigger. You go you go get one of them. Yeah. 
And so uh, a guy like the, the the big tackle out of Ohio State, I know that he's, you know, a planet theory guy. He's massive. I think 6'8", 338. Um, you know, I'm a basketball star as well, too. Two sport athlete. So has some athleticism there. Would you see him coming in to compete right away for a starting job or would he be the swing tackle who would step in injury uh, to Dan Moore or to Chuxacore for or do you think he'd be given that opportunity to compete right away? I think he would be given the opportunity to compete. I think Mike Tomlin is in a place in his career, coaching career, where he wants competition. He wants friendly, intense competition week in and week out, day in and day out. And I think that's something that we had going on when we were there, when I was there. You know, iron sharpens iron. It's something that he oftentimes, you know, stated. And we knew that, you know. So in regards to knowing that every practice was important, unless you were an established guy, like a Troy, you know, someone like that, where you knew you were good, you know what I mean? Because your resume speaks for itself. But in regards to other guys that was trying to, who trying to uh, create that sense of a foundation, iron sharpens iron. So if that was to happen, when you look at our tackle position and, you know, seeing that we need a sense of consistency there, you make a move and you go get a guy like Jones. Hey, I mean, if you want to go get it, go get it. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, you know, Jeremy, uh, who's caught the attention for me lately, especially since Bud Dupree didn't work out. They need a backup OLB just as much as they need a backup tackle. Mm-hmm. Now, Jim, my thing is this. This is how I look at this. Pittsburgh, they have the first pick in the second round, right? I know there are a lot of people high on Nolan Smith. In my mock draft, I have Nolan Smith going to – Baltimore at 22. Nobody (laughs) wants to see that. I I know. I know. But if Nolan Smith is still available, let's say, because Dallas won't take him. They don't need him. Um, I I highly doubt Buffalo or Cincinnati would take him. So if if Nolan Smith is still available after 26, which is the Dallas Cowboys, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, you got two first-rounders. And you talked about the depth or the lack thereof at the office of, at the outside backer position because eventually you're going to have to try to pay Alex Highsmith. He had 14 sacks last year. You know, T.J. Watt is getting what he's he's supposed to receive. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you roll a dice and Omar and be like, man, Nolan is still there because if we allow him to, to probably get – Pass. I don't know though, because if, if he's available after Baltimore, Minnesota, so Baltimore has twenty second, Minnesota has twenty third, Jacksonville has twenty four, twenty fifth is the Giants. I mean, you might can stay put. He might be there. I'll tell you. I don't know if you've checked this guy out from Iowa State, and Tomlin went to Iowa State. You don't go to Iowa State unless you're really interested in the player. Will McDonald, I don't know if you've checked him out. He's a beast. Wow. He played five tech for them. And yeah. he's 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 a classic Steeler three four guy. He's a beast. Long arms. I, I really like him. He's he's older than Nolan Smith and not as fast. I, I got another name for you. You want to talk about a poor man's TJ Watt? Go watch Drew Sanders from Arkansas, who used to be at Alabama. 
He he's a versatile pass rusher for Arkansas. He was a stand-up backer, inside backer. He also navigated to an outside backer in, in pressure type situation, third, you know, passing downs. And he caused a lot of hell. I think he had nine and a half sacks. And he had nine and a half sacks, not as a predominantly outside rusher. He had nine sacks, just getting nine sacks when they caught when they told me to rush. And he's six, four, six, five, like 250, 260. So talking about adding depth and staying put. I, Drew Sanders is, probably won't be drafted in the first round. I don't see that happening. I mean, you know, anything can happen in the flow of the draft, but based on what most analysts and experts say about the draft and the board for him, his market value is second round. So if you talk about, and he's been more productive than Nolan Smith. He has hotter tape than Nolan Smith. Well, he's he stood up. He was an inside guy, and they, they need inside guys too. Yeah. And yeah. you know, Vince Williams did a lot of pass rushing as an inside guy too. I think Drew Sanders, correct, he stood up, but when you watch him as an outside backer, he seems to be such a natural. And he's coming from a system, even though he was a year removed from Alabama, where they're three four base, a three four base. So remember his last year, Alabama, it was Drew. And Anderson causing havoc. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, you know, he had some pressure from the young kid, uh, the freshman they had there. He had them transferring, but it was it was Will and, and, and Drew doing what they've been doing. He did a great job at Arkansas last year. So that could be a guy that can add outside backer depth, especially where we're talking about selecting in the first round. Yeah. All right. So, so you you gave me a TJ Watt comparison, and I'll give you a little TJ Watt nugget. Will McDonald's from the same hometown as TJ Watt. It's even better. I, I, I like either. Hey, Jim, I like either guy, especially if you're telling me the Steelers can get either guy in the second round. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not so sure guys like Nolan Smith and Will McDonald will last that long. I, I have a feeling the, the NFL boards are a little different than the media boards. And that's the good thing about it because honestly, all of us don't know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll bring when, this. BMAC, when's your uh, mock draft going to be posted? Is it going to be up at CBS Sports? Yeah, it should be up. Uh, probably going to get it posted. Um, I'll, I'll finish it up tonight and hopefully by the end of this week. Okay. All right. So, BMAC, let's let's bring it home with the, the draft talk here with this uh, last question. So, you know, we talked about needing help at, at cornerback on the offensive line, depth at outside backer. Is there any position out there that maybe – Fans and Steelers Nation aren't aren't recognizing that. Hey, this is a need uh, in the draft that that we haven't discussed that that could potentially happen uh, in during the draft next week. Mm. A need in the draft that we're not really talking too much about. I think there is a need for interior D line play. Um. I know we brought back Larry, gave him a nice money, um, but eventually Hayward is going to step away. You know what I mean? So I think knowing that, it's time to go get someone who we can groom and, and hand the keys over whenever he's ready to walk away. Um, and, and we know how much value the Steelers put in defense alignment. There's value. They love guys that can play the three or the five. They love nose guards. And they love outside rushers. 
there's always been a premium in regards to the Steelers and how they draft, especially on the defensive side. So I think that's an area that we need to be mindful of in regards to depth or the lack thereof, and maybe adding someone there that can be a big-time contributor in the near future. Right. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, the draft for the Pittsburgh Steelers, according to BMAC. BMAC, great stuff. Do you want to just talk a little bit about your podcast with your your cousin and new Pittsburgh Steelers, Patrick Peterson, All Things Covered? Yes, man, All Things Covered. Man, we've been in existence for about three years now. Uh, we, we, we started this uh, idea around COVID time when a lot of us, well, all of us were isolated being at home. Um, when he was with the Arizona Cardinals. And then, of course, the last two years playing with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he's been really enjoying it. And that's probably the step he wants to take when he call it quits, you know, get into the media talking football. Um, we have we've already had quite a few Steelers on, you know, T.J. Watt has been on Juju when Juju Smith was a part of the team. Mike Tomlin, Bill Cower, Mel Blunt, Jerome Bettis. Chris Hope, Larry Foote, Omar. We've had Omar on as well. You got uh, to take care of us with your guest list, man. We got we got to get in your Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, we we we've had a lot of Steelers <laughs> on, so it even makes more sense to have more Steelers on with Pat. You know, being a part of the organization, but he's excited. You know, for everyone that's watching us, man, give us a a, a shout. You know, listen to us or watch us. We on YouTube as well. Tell a friend to tell a friend and, and please subscribe. Yep. And and listeners, viewers, we will put the link to the All Things Covered podcast in the show notes so you can check that out. And BMAC, do you have a Twitter handle that uh, listeners can follow you at? Yes, sir. My Twitter handle is BMAC underscore sports talk. It's the same for Instagram and it's the same for Facebook and everything. All, 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 all the same. Wonderful. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. And then, Jim, anything you want to bring it home with here? Oh, we just got the book uh, on the clock, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers at the draft. Uh, there's a 33% off uh, at, at triumphbooks.com. I'm looking it up. It says Ames 33 is the code. Ames, Iowa. We just talked about Will McDonald and going to Ames. Ames 33 is the code to get 33% off. If you uh, order from jimwexel.com, uh, you get an autograph. Then I'll inscribe it, happy draft season or whatever. That's all I got, Jamie. All I'm right. Good. I, I, I talked enough this podcast. All right. Well, this was uh, this was a special one for me, uh, listening to Brian McFadden, BMAC, and Jim Wexel talking Steelers draft. Great stuff. The draft is next week. We appreciate all you listeners and viewers out there in Steelers Nation. Make sure you like and subscribe to Still City Insider Podcast, and we will see you back here next week for episode number 64. Take care, everyone.